Welcome to Shotgun Story, the podcast that has conversations with indie creators about music, meaning, and the point of it all, so that you may be inspired by the journeys of other artists who are doing it for themselves, and maybe gain a little more understanding as to why it matters quite so much that you keep creating. Nibs van Spee is one of the most extraordinary and exciting world acoustic guitarists and exports to come out of South Africa. Raised in the fertile province of KwaZulu-Natal, Nibs immersed himself in his natural environment to formulate a truly consummate and original sound. Based in Europe, he's back in SA for a bit and chatting with us remotely from KZN. Hi Nibs! Hey Tori, so good to see you and thanks for having me on. I want to start with why music? What drew you here? What sparked your love of it? It goes back from day one, actually. My mother, first of all, is a, a wonderful classical pianist. So there was always classical music being played in the house. She was never professional, but she played all the time when I was growing up. So I had that classical temperament from day one. My father was a four-chord guitar player. He had been in the Second World War and he had been in the Korean War. So he sang all these war songs and he loved like the big band jazz sounds like Glenn Miller, Tommy Dorsey, Jimmy Dorsey. And then I shared a room with my brother who's seven years older than me. I used to go to bed at night from the age of three to the sounds of the Beatles or the Stones, you know. So I've had three different temperaments. I had the classical temperament from my mother. I had the old big band jazz and war songs from my father. And then sharing a room with my brother, I had the rock and roll. Yeah, the Beatles sunk into my soul when I was three years old and I haven't left. That got me excited from day one, you know. Yeah. I remember my brother had the Lennon and McCartney songbook. And because I loved the Beatles so much, I thought, just let me give it a bash. I remember I worked out myself like the chord diagrams. I thought, well, obviously, like the dots on the string, that must signify the neck, you know. And so that's how I started by ear, you know, I had to get my dad to tune the guitar for me. I learned the chord shapes. And I remember the first song I ever played was Eleanor Rigby by the Beatles because they had three chords. I remember, and even Paperback Writer, which had one chord. So that's where it all started. Wow, that's wonderful. If you were to look at your career as a timeline, what three to five highlights would give context to listeners who aren't familiar with your music? I'll go into a bit of a history and then I'll go into the timelines. I mean, I've took music seriously from 1980 when I was 14. And from that time, I was writing my own songs. And then I studied music. I lectured music for many years at the University of KwaZulu-Natal. Lectured history of music. So I've always played music. And I was involved with various different bands. Like in the 90s, before I felt I found my own voice. So I really felt I found my own voice musically as a solo artist. was when I bought my first solo album out in 1999. A Pretoria label called Wildebeest Records. I was in a band called Landscape Prayers, which is an instrumental band. Uh, we had four albums, 10 years together. But I really felt I came into my own musically on a path, which I've been on since then, in about 1999, 2000. In 2005, I released my third album called Beautiful Feet. And it was on the Sheer label. Mm-hmm. Sheer had uh, their favorite artist, like uh, who are they promoting. I think I was in the pile, but... For some reason, a lot of the journalists were getting like the, the artists which the label wanted, like my stuff. And so my third album, Beautiful Feet, kind of got a lot of traction in France. Well, around the globe, it got a lot of 
really beautiful reviews. They compared me to like a South African version of Nick Drake because maybe I've got a fragile voice and maybe my guitar style with a finger style thing. I'd never heard of Nick Drake. So when people said that, I went out to discover Nick Drake. <laughs> anyway, now from 2006 to about 2014, I was really playing a lot abroad before I move abroad. Mm-hmm. And so the three definite concerts or slices of time which are important to me in my career the first one was in 2007 when I got invited to play at the Blues and Roots Festival, the Gold Coast in Australia. Wow. As a soloist. It was kind of surreal because backstage, the day I played, we had Ben Harper and the Innocent Criminals, a whole band. Jack Johnson was there saying hi to him because he was surfing at there at the time. He wasn't playing the festival. We had Bonnie Raitt, who I'm a huge fan of, with the South African connection, Ricky Fatar, who has been Bonnie Raitt's musical director for 25 years. I mean, he was part of the legendary South African band called The Flames. So he was there. And then I had Taj Mahal, a, a blues singer. I've loved my whole life. He was there. So everyone was backstage. And my show was awesome. It was really, I felt like I was sitting on a huge marshmallow cloud somewhere in the stratosphere. It was just so beautiful. That was really powerful. That sounds insane. It was insane. Yeah, it was to get the program and see your album advertised with all these other artists you love. It was a really powerful moment in my career. Another really powerful moment as a soloist was I got invited to play at this festival on the Amalfi Coast of Italy, 800 meters up in this town called Ravello. It was called the Ravello Festival. I did a solo gig there, and I did the gig overlooking the Amalfi Coast, 800 meters up on the steps of a 900-year-old church. And the chairs were set out in the garden in front of the church steps. And that was biblical beyond words, you know. And uh, yeah. the whole theme of that concert was hope. First was hope, so I had to tell them about the hope that we had come through in South Africa. That was absolutely powerful. So those were two solo gigs. And then my third highlight, which really stands out, is with one of my longtime collaborators and dearest friends, Guy Battery. We've been playing together for 20 years. We've released two albums. And in 2012, we got to play with a singer-songwriter, great guitarist from Portland, Oregon, called Kelly Joe Phelps. And we did two shows with him in this wonderful little venue in Paris, close to Republic, a little club called La Java, a legendary long club where Edith Piaf had performed and the great jazz guitarist Django Reinhardt. I did two shows with Guy there, supporting this wonderful artist called Kelly Joe Phelps. That, yeah, that's when, you, when you're playing in such a historical place where you can actually hear and feel the vibrations of Edith Piaf through the walls, that was biblical as well. It was beautiful. It was beyond beautiful. So now, to get on those kind of lineups requires talent, first, a thousand percent. But after that, I mean, you said you were invited to play those festivals. What was the leading up to playing those things? Is it because of the albums or promoters or publicists? Or what do you think for an indie artist wanting to play those sort of festivals? What advice would you have? Luck is on your side for sure. I call it fate, but it's... there's always that cliche saying, which the harder you work, the luckier you get. And it's for sure. I've been woodshedding or I use that expression woodshedding, just getting my, trying to get my music out there for 20 years before these things happened. You know, I was with 10 years with the band Landscape Prayers. We played a festival in France and Italy, 
really putting our music out there and also realizing that the music I play doesn't get much airplay, if any airplay at all. So I'm really grateful for like podcasts like this. So, you know, it's just chipping away, chipping away, believing in what you do and not getting discouraged. And unfortunately with music, you can't put timelines. And I often hear artists say, well, I'm setting a task and I'm setting a, like a, a goal that if I don't crack it by next year, next year, November, music wasn't meant for me. But then I start telling them, well, music was never meant for you. So if you start putting timelines, you're in it for the wrong reasons. Music's got to be a way of life. It's got to be a lifestyle. And uh, obviously you want the world to hear it because you've got a, hopefully a message which touches people around the globe. So that's what I kept on doing. And then obviously with my third album, Beautiful Feet, it got picked up by a label in France. And they got distribution in Australia. And uh, yeah, it got distributed to a few countries in Europe, but mainly France and Germany. Those were the two countries where it got very nice reviews. And through the reviews of those albums, I got an agent in France who really liked me. Like, yeah, so they that's how those gigs happened. That's how those festivals happened. It was also fate. I'll also tell you what happened, how I got into like one of my biggest festivals in France. It's just being at the right place at the right time. I remember doing this opening slot in Paris at a jazz club called The Hermitage. And I was opening up for a friend of mine called Brice Wassi. He's a fantastic Cameroonian drummer based in Paris. And he had his jazz trio there. And I said, please, can I open up for you? He said, with pleasure. But uh, as you know, like, it was a jazz gig, beautiful sound. There were only 16 people in the audience. And I think when I played, there were only eight people in the audience. And it's quite discouraging. But I remember that gig. The sound was great. So you give it all. I think you you give it, even if the eight people audience, you, you play as if it's your last concert. And I remember after I played, there was this guy who walked out of the shadows in a trench coat and curly hair. He came to me and he he said, well, I've heard about you. I really love your stuff. I run a festival in the south of France. A British guy who had been living in Paris for 30 years. He said, I'd really love you to come and play at this festival. So that festival opened a lot of doors. And through him, I got that gig at this wonderful legendary venue in Paris with Guy. So, yeah, it's luck on your side. So never give up. I also believe I've had that. It's part of my, these highlights I told you about, that's part of an era which I feel is coming to an end. And I feel I'm on the eve of something new, something different, still yeah. hopefully playing music the way I do. You've just got to keep on going and you've got to play through the hard times and the bad times. But even through the storms and the bad times, like the example I gave you, there's always a voice who's mysteriously comes out of the shadows is there to listen to you, who gets off on what you do. And so that's my advice. Never give up. If you feel you've got something to say, you've got to say it. And it's, we're living in an age now. We don't need that record company. Remember 20 years ago, it's like, I got signed, you know, meanwhile, you're kind of maybe yeah. not knowingly signing, you're signing your life away, <laughs> signing your publishing away. And so, you know, there are ways and means, even in this pandemic. You said keep doing it against all odds, what makes you keep doing it? I've still got something to say. I've got a message. I don't want to get biblical here or too religious about things, but I've had people say to me that the Almighty or God wants to use you for the music to break bondage in people's life. But that's music, music for you. I remember Stalin in Russia at the turn of last century said, if you want to change the way people think, do it to the music. So music is the most powerful spiritual force on this planet so 
I really do believe all these prophetic messages I've had from people is that my music does do things to people. I'm just a vehicle. I'm just the antenna transmitting this and healing people. I was playing in a club in France and I not so long ago and I had this guy come to me and say to me, well, he said, I want to thank you so much for this, the music. He said, I mean, having marital problems, but your music's like struck a chord inside of me that I want to make my marriage work. I wasn't meant to come here tonight, but I, somehow someone said, come and see this show. And they came and it's changed my life. So I'm happy when I hear things like that, playing in a CD club in the middle of nowhere, you know, and someone's come to see you and you've had a life-changing impact on them. So that's why I feel I'm not done with the music. And I've that's what I'm good at. That I feel that's what I've been meant to do. I've, I've done the lecturing thing at university. I've did that for years. And, you know, often I thought, do I go back to it? But no, I think once the door's closed, you move on. And going back, you're really going a few steps back. So I've got no desire to sit in the classroom and teach students the way I did for 20 years, if not longer. I love to teach and I do workshops all over the time. And I love that. Um, and I love the historical part of music, which I'm a fan of music. So that's what I'm, that's what I'm best at. I've often had meetings with top businessmen because everyone's trying to have an easy fix of like, how can I be successful quickly? There's no easy success. It doesn't exist. And if it does, it was, it was built on a foundation, which is super weak. How many of your friends rose to that so-called illusionary fame and nosedived in the same <laughs> breath? You know, so it's true. I've still got something to say. And I really believe, I don't want to go into world politics and all that now, but I follow the prophets and I believe we're going into a, a magnificent season where the voice of the musician and the artist is really going to come to the fore. I believe we're going into a golden era. In the coming weeks and things, there's going to be a lot of exposure of not so lucky things which have been happening at a high level for decades and decades. I feel that that's going to come to the fore. We as humanity need to know it. You know, so you've got these two parallels. You've got the Great Reset and you've got the Great Awakening. I don't want to be part of the Great Reset. So you're driven by something you don't want to be part of. You're like a slave. I want to be part of this new Great Awakening where we free. You're not slave to the government. You dictate what the government what to do. Yeah. You know, so I feel it deep in my soul. We can, as a musicians, and for those musicians out there who are on the eve of throwing in the towel because of this pandemic, whatever, don't. If you've got something to say deep in your heart, let it stir in your heart and your voice will be heard. Don't give up. Don't give up. Even though it's been hard and you felt like no one heard you, and if you've got something to say, you feel you've got something to say, and you've got to, you're doing it for the right reason, and that's what you're good at, don't give up. It's going to come back. I really feel it is. And I really feel this. I mean, I've lost two friends and four people in the last two weeks, so it's easy to be slave to the doom and gloom. But I feel things are going to lift. Things are going to move. We're going to go into a beautiful golden age sooner than we think. And I don't think people say, well, let's get through 2021 now. Because, I mean, yeah, you get rumors of, oh, this is with new strains they're finding out there and whatever. I, I just think it's, of course it exists, but we mustn't be slave to fear. We're going to be the voice. Us musicians are going to be the voice in the future. And I really feel it. And it's been prophetic voices as well saying, like, Musicians are going to be coming to the fore like never before. Because we always asked it. We're always the ones who, you know, when it comes to 
payout from the government. We're the ones who didn't get payouts. We survived, you know. So our best days, our best years are still to come. I really believe that. Amazing. I feel incredibly inspired. I want to talk about the pandemic here for a moment and these challenges that people are facing, particularly in South Africa in the music industry. We've been facing some challenges for a mm. while as musicians. As you said now, people are always threatening to quit. How do you think that people can get creative about making a living right now? I sent you my little bog and proposal, uh, what I'm sending out at the moment, you know. Start small, I, and that's what I'm doing while I'm here because there's, I mean, there's no sign of me going back to Portugal yet. I'm starting to do small little home concerts, house concerts. Okay, I'll go back a story which will highlight the story I'm trying to tell you now. Okay, I arrived back in Portugal mm -hmm. in March. I've got a French tour organized. I've got a UK tour organized. And the day I arrived back in Portugal, my French tour was canceled. Everyone said, yeah, by next, by March, middle of March, this should be all wrapped up. You know, we all were positive. Middle of the, okay, end of the middle of April came. There was no way this, this thing wasn't going away. My, my English tour was canceled. Thank God I'm involved with like a, a wonderful project I can tell you about later, which kind of gave me some income while two tours got canceled. The rug was taken under my feet. But I'm full of faith. I'm full of faith and full of hope. You know, so I never let the world get the better of me. So I really put the prayers out there. I remember in lockdown in Portugal, I'd, I'd cycle everywhere. I remember going cycling along the coast after hours when there's no security out there, along the beach road. Uh, it's a beautiful cycle path and where people jog. I used to go about nine o'clock at night and I used to sit in front of this church built in 1732, sit in the steps, take my guitar and play. Play and pray. <laughs> and it was so quiet. You could hear the birds singing. It was just so clear. And that's what I did for every night on my own. There was no booze lockdown. So I used to take, always take a little bit of wine and drink some wine up there, play and pray. And uh, just felt so free. I did that and didn't give up hope. And then all of a sudden, I got a call from a promoter from Germany and said, listen, wouldn't you like to come and do a tour in Corona in Germany. So I said, what do you mean a tour in Corona? I said, no, we're going to do a tour because things are opening up. We're going to do a tour of theaters. We're going to do house concerts. We're going to play in a town hall. I, I played in two churches at a, a show for two shows for Radio Bremen. Out of the blue came this 14 gig tour of Germany. You know, I've just lost two tours. So this tour came out of the blue and it was like, let's start, Let's this tour is playing in gardens, people's gardens. As I said, there were small theaters I played at. I played at a little theater in this one town uh, run by the man. Used up my connections from years back, and I got invited to play two radio shows, which were recorded in a, a beautiful church, all social distancing. You know, so I thought, wow, this is amazing that even through this pandemic, we can still do something beautiful and still abiding to the law. We can do a thing. And so out of this blue came this tour, which superseded the two tours which were cancelled. You know, it came from nowhere. So yeah. you've got to have faith, whatever your faith is. You've got to have faith. You've got to believe. And uh, it came, and I act upon it. And it's, it was one of the best financial tours I'd ever done, ever. It was I was just numerically blessed beyond words. And... Uh, when I came back here, I thought, I'm going to do the same thing. 
So when things start opening up, I've already sent proposals out for doing these little small health concerts. I want to plan your lounge. I want to plan your kitchen to 10 people. Yeah. When people say, what's the thing? It will say, I do it by person. So no one loses. You can provide a meal. I'll play like a normal house gig, kind of, but even smaller. And I sent a little clip on that uh, little bag I did of playing in a kitchen in Portugal recently. It's maybe seven people. It was one of the nicest concerts I ever did. People listened, you know, and uh, so there are ways and means, you know. So that's the way I'm I'm going about it now while I'm in South Africa. And obviously the, the lockdown restrictions are quite hectic, but I, I believe they will be loosened where we can start doing these little shows. So start small. Just start small. Put it out there. We always rely on the club owners or just there are ways and means by just trying to do it on your own. Reaching out to friends who really dig your music and say, listen, please can I play in your kitchen? Let's invite your friends or whatever. And that way you can generate a bit of income. I still sell albums at gigs. I sell more CDs on that German tour than I have in the last five years. Wow. People still buying albums. And that's a funny thing. I, I'm on all the digital platforms. I don't understand it, but I'm not, I'm not going to be slave to the, them either. I love, I still play CDs. I still play records. I mean, if someone sends me a song, I'll, we'll listen to it. A guy sent me a, a beautiful Indian piece of music yesterday. So I listened to that on Spotify, but otherwise I'm listening to albums. I, I, I still believe in the art of making an album. As you know, making albums, it's, it's a piece of art. And I don't want my art to be diluted with like hundreds and thousands of other pieces of art, which you don't give a chance to. So an album or a CD, I always still buy vinyl. And if it's an album I'm not sure about, I'll buy the CD. And I love to hold it and I love to open the pages, like to smell the cellophane on it. And I can still smell my old records from 30, 40 years ago, which still have that smell, which made me excited about listening to them back then. So... Yeah, I'm still organic in this real purist in that way. I'm trying to get away from the whole social media platform way of life. We're going to go back to meeting people again, for real. It sounds like you really embody what you believe. And so I'm not surprised that you still have shows coming and that people buy CDs because you live it. Yeah, I'm fortunate about that. I mean, we're living in a, a society of instant gratification you want something you want it now so even though i'm playing these shows and people see my albums on display there i know for them it is instant gratification buying your cd just as a momentum because tomorrow's too late gone are the days where someone in the audience will say you know what i love it but i'm going to okay next friday i'm going to go to look and listen and i'm going to buy nips's album or i'm going to buy tori's album those days are gone well first of all there wouldn't be a, <laughs> a cd shop to go and buy the album first so people buy it in the moment they do our it was just happened so beautifully in this last tour of germany it was just i couldn't believe my eyes my audience is 45 and above but yeah, people still say, I still listen to albums. I still, I've still got my CD playing in my car. I still play vinyl. So that makes my heart warm. Because when your nephew comes to your gig in London, and then after the show, he says, what was the fourth song you played? I told him what it was. And I, and I said to him, why the fourth song? Because he said, that's the song I'm going to put on my playlist. It's like, <laughs> but I said, what about the whole album? Uh, but it's like... <laughs> No, it's that's the one I want. Weird, eh? Different world we're living in right now. 
So now you mentioned Guy a couple of times. So you guys are old friends and collaborators. Do you collaborate with anybody else? Yes. I did the, one of the most beautiful collaborations of my life. Okay, there are three collaborations I'll, I'll talk about which have changed my life. I love to collaborate because, first of all, like every year mainly I bring a international artist out to South Africa and I always organize usually a tour of KwaZulu-Natal and the Cape. It's a, I call it the green tour. And I've done that for many years with many artists. So my last tour I did, you know, I've been more in Europe the last three years. So I didn't do anything the last three years. But three years ago, I did the most wonderful collaboration, which isn't finished yet. We recorded an album, but it's still see the light of day. So let me tell you the story which yeah. happened. And it was life-changing. My sister was living in Portugal at the time had a very, very powerful dream. Because she knows I love to collaborate in it. She told me that uh, in her dream, I was playing with this fantastic oud player. Oud is like a, a, a Middle Eastern instrument which they play in Turkey, in Persia, Iraq, Iran, in Greece. Uh, it looks like a lute. It's got no frets. It's got 10 strings. I'm, and I know the sound of the oud. So she said, in the dream, you're playing with this wonderful young musician who was veiled. She said the music was beautiful. She said, I could smell the roses when you played in the dream. Mm. She told me about two months after it happened. So when she told me that, I thought, wow, that's amazing. So I went to YouTube to try and find her, and I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) I was spending an hour, I thought, like, who's this? You know, I I was joking to myself. And then I was just about to close the, the window, and a voice said inside of me, let me look five minutes longer. And then I came across this most amazing young musician from Tehran, Iran, this young Muslim girl called Yazamin Shah Hosseini. She was 27 years older, absolute virtuosa. I fell in love with her playing, her whole being. I said, wow, this is amazing. And then I tried to reach out to her on Facebook, but I didn't realize in some countries Facebook is blocked. And then I saw she was giving some online lessons in Canada through a, a company specializing in Persian music. So I wrote to them and said, I would love to do a collaboration with Yazamin. And then I didn't hear from them. Ten days later, I got a mail from Tehran from Yazamin saying, hi, Nips, listen to your music. Really love it. She said, I'd love to collaborate with you. So here's this young girl. I didn't have one WhatsApp chat with her. It was all done through email. We communicated. And then in February of 2018, without even knowing me, she got a blessing from her mother she came out to South Africa to do a tour with me. And it was the most biblical, unbelievable tour I've ever done. It was just, we had this ESP or telepathy when we played where we kind of had known each other for eternally. And uh, we did 15 shows in KZN and uh, Cape Town. It was amazing. We, then we recorded an album with Guy at Guy's Home Studio. It still hasn't seen a light of day because we want another tour to promote it. But that was beautiful. There's a video of us two playing together on the one Bioga gave you, of the two of us playing together. She was incredible. That lifted my soul like nothing else. And then another collaboration, which is part of my life and my journey, is in the 1990s, I fell in love with the band Tananas. Tananas was my favorite South African band. It was Steve Newman, Gito Beloy from Mozambique, and Ian Herman. They were part of the rebirth of the new nation, seeing a multicultural, multiracial band playing this instrumental music, which just changed my life. Speak to anyone 
And even people who listen to this podcast, they'll say, wow, I remember Tananas. They were just biblical. They were amazing. Anyway, I did an album with the bass player, Gita Beloy. I love Portuguese culture. I played a lot in Mozambique, and he's from there. He escaped the Civil War in the 80s there, came to South Africa, met up with Steve Newman and Ian Herman, formed Tananas. So we became dear friends, and uh, we had a duo together in the early 2000s. And then we released an album together called Sweet Thorn. We launched it at this little place in Pretoria called The Lucid Candle, a nice little house home house gig. And we had a whole tour booked after that to push the album. And after that first gig, he was killed. He was murdered in downtown Johannesburg. It's one of those horrible, and there's no closure with that story, sadly. Devastated. He was angelic. I mean, when you listen to a Tananas album or a Gita Beloy song, when you hear this high falsetto, which was just angelic, and the way he played the bass like no other, like he played the bass like a, a melodic instrument. That was, you know, when you place next to a collaborator, and I have that with Guy. With Guy, we feel each other's energy. It's a joyful thing. It's a great escape from our solo gigs. And when I play with Guy, it's, it's a no-pressure gig where we just have so much fun with the music and we take chances because we know each other so well. And that was the same with uh, Gita Beloy. I felt his energy next to him when I played. It was like, wow, it was incredible. And then this 15-day collaboration with Yasmin, who, who arrived late from Tehran because her visa didn't come on time to rebook her flight, so we had one-day rehearsal. And when we played our first gig, it was like we played our whole lifetime together. It's just, you know, when you just... You know each other through the music and it's you don't have to say a word you just you communicate amongst yourselves and to the people through the music that was super powerful super super powerful oh there's something about a collaboration yeah that changes your cells it does everyone thinks well i have to play with the best technically musician in that field and sometimes it's not that sometimes you will play with the best technical musician in that field who you think You'll have a cool collaboration out, but then the ego is involved and there's a blockage. And you sometimes it doesn't work. It's all about chemistry. And uh, I would rather play with someone who maybe doesn't have the technical prowess of someone who's admired and put on a pedestal there with someone who's got the soul. And if you've got the soul, nothing beats soul. Give me two chords and the truth. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So do you have tips for musicians on how to be a better collaborator? First of all, when you collaborate, no one's without reach. So if there's someone you want to play with, reach out to them. If you hear something in someone else's music, you feel it's going to maybe lift your music up to us. And it's good. It's like I've always seen collaborations are wonderful inspirational moments, which can be for a season every year or once a year. The way Laurie Levine and uh, Josie Phil get together, maybe they did the two albums, they collaborated. You know, it wasn't a permanent thing, but it was a fun thing they did. So first of all, collaborations mustn't be a pressure. They've got to be fun. So reach out to someone. And even if you think they're out of reach, they might not be out of reach. So take a chance on someone you think you're going to have a cool moment with, even if it's for a tour, even if it's to record a few songs. I remember when I played, uh, and I, I was a spectator in Italy. It's called the Pistoia Blues Festival. That it was a great weekend, man. On the Friday night, it was Government Mule, a jam band from the south. I love with Robert Plant, this next act. On the Saturday, it was this guy called Pierce Ficini and then Ben Harper. And on the Sunday, it was Dylan. So it was an epic weekend. It was for my 40th birthday present for my sister. 
We spent a weekend in Italy at this wonderful festival in the middle of Tuscany. And I remember the guy who played before Ben Harper, Piers Ficini. Remember, he's of Italian descent but living in France. When I heard him, I thought, he sounds like Jeff Buckley, but I actually, what he could do with his voice, could do that high falsetto and then go real low. He could be using his voice as an instrument. And I loved his songs and I loved his vibe. That I went to Ben Harper's merchandise table and I bought this guy called Pierce Ficini. I thought, wow, I love his stuff and bought his album. And I thought, I'd love to do something with this guy. So I reached out to him. To cut a long story short, we ended up playing at the same festival in Australia a few months later, the one in the Gold Coast and Byron Bay. And then we met there. We hit it off. Two months later, we were in South Africa. We did a tour. We did a full-on tour together, which is fantastic. You think someone's out of reach, but they're not. I've been pleasantly surprised all the time. They said, well, I really dig your tunes as well. Love to do something. So I've had wonderful collaborators and artists coming from abroad who have thought, well, there's no way someone they're going to come and do it. And nine out of ten, they've all wanted to do it. Incredible. So just got to step up. And do you have a wishlist collaboration that you haven't done yet? I would love to jam with Keith Richards. <laughs> I would love to spend an afternoon with Keith. I just, do you know why I love Keith Richards? Because he's such a fan of music. You know, like I've heard people say, like, when he's not playing Stones, riffs and that he loves blue he loves country he loves african so he's a real fan of music so i would just love to sit in a room with him one day and just jam forget that he's uh he's keith richards i want to jam with keith the fan of music i know we would have so much fun and uh i'd love to play with anushka shankar i'm a, obviously i love indian music and i love the, the music i love ravi shankar's music and his daughter anushka shankar She's an Indian classical sitar musician, a sitar player, the half-sister of Nora Jones. Yeah. I love her music. I love the way she's taken her Indian yeah. classical music, and she loves collaboration. She's fused Indian classical with flamenco. She's fused Indian classical music with electronica, and I would love to play with her. Like She's on a, the, def, the next notch. She's like a global, high-profile world music artist, so she might be... A little bit out of reach, but saying that she she goes to a friend of mine's concerts in London, a, a friend of mine from Texas called Rodney Brannigan, a lovely guitarist who I bought out here before. I mean, she's gone to his concerts twice. She digs his music. He's an independent fingerstyle guitarist, so who knows? And uh, it's amazing. Uh, I'll tell you another collaboration story, which uh, it's always wonderful when you don't know who the person is. I remember one night. I got invited to a house party in Paris by that same guy who walked out of the shadows with the trench coat, the British guy, promoter mm. living in Paris. He had a, like a dinner in his Paris apartment, but it was all don't arrive before 10 o'clock. So it was one of those parties, dinners, we drank wine and we walked out on the pavement at 7 in the morning. I remember jamming with this guy from New York City there who was playing a, a Fender Telecaster and playing slide guitar. And I was playing my instrumental stuff. Everyone was jamming. So I was jamming with this dude from New York who played slide guitar. And I got introduced to him. His name is Sal, S-A-L. Anyway, I, we, he didn't say much. We spoke to the music. We jammed for about an hour and a half together. It was beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. A year later, when Guy and I played in Paris at that club where Edith Pierce played, the Java, we stayed at the promoter's house. 
And before the gig, he said, hey, I want to show you the footage from the, it was called the gumbo party. Gumbo is like a, a Louisiana stew. That was a traditional Louisiana dish. Uh, there was someone making it there from the U.S. She said, do you want to see the footage from the gumbo party? I said, yeah, it was such an awesome night. And then he said, then he put the footage of me playing with this guy called Sal. And then Guy <laughs> Buttery was there. He said, oh, my God. He said, that's Sal Bernardi. That's Ricky Lee Jones' ex-husband and guitarist for all her classic albums. I don't know if you know Ricky Lee Jones. I love Ricky Lee Jones. So he's the guy who's played on all her albums except for the first one. But, I mean, um, he was married to her and played on all her albums. So this unknown guy called Salop Jared with the whole night was actually Ricky Lee Jones' ex-husband and collaborator. So I said to him, I had no idea. It was never, it was never discussed. So just see that nothing's impossible. If someone you want to play with, just reach out to them. Just take a chance. So wonderful. And now as we wind down the interview, is there a song in the world that you wish that you had written? Yeah, there are. Can I give you three songs? Three is perfect. Okay. So going back to what excited me about music and what got me into music when I was three years old was the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. And obviously being a fan, you had to have a favorite Beatle. So my favorite Beatle was always George Harrison. I loved him. He was the underdog in the band. I'm trying to compete with John Lennon and Paul McCartney. was an impossible task. So George really came into his own as a songwriter in the Beatles. And towards the end, he was really the most unbelievable songwriter. So I would say something, which he wrote from Abbey Road, and Here Comes the Sun from Abbey Road. Those are two songs. Oh, wow. It's just it's like something like Here Comes the Sun. It's, it's just the most beautiful melody and a beautiful guitar workout as well. Obviously, I love all the Beatles, but it, one of the most beautiful songs is In My Life from the Rubber Soul album, which John wrote. It's mm. from 65. The, yeah, from Rubber Soul. Love that. And obviously, it would be unfair to say, well, I've included the Beatles and not the Stones for great songs. So I'd say one of the greatest songs ever written, which I thought I wish I could have written is Ruby Tuesday. And um, have you heard Nina Simone's version of Here Comes the Sun? I have, and I love it. I love Nina. I absolutely love Nina. <laughs> I never get tired of listening to Nina. I love every cover she's ever, ever done as well. She just gives it her own drive, her own personality, and she claims it for herself, which I love. So I do love her version for sure. If somebody wanted to go and hear what you're doing or get in touch, do you have social media links? I do. I do. I'm on all the, the digital platforms. You just punch in my name, Nips on the and I'm there. For Spotify, I'm on YouTube Music. I'm on, you'll find me on all, all platforms. There are a lot out there. If you're more serious about maybe discovering my albums and listening to my music, you can go to Bandcamp. Bandcamp Nips van der Spey, where you can still buy hard copies and you can buy, if you're still one who likes to download hard files for good quality, punch in Bandcamp and Nips van der Spey and you, you'll see me. And then obviously all the links to how I write songs, the songwriting process. I've got a few tutorials. You go to nipsvandespey.com and you'll see a whole bunch of cool videos and yeah, the art of writing songs, what I love about songwriting and give some examples of inspiration behind some of the songs I've written. So that's on my website as well. Wow, I love that. 
I love that because I never got around to asking that question. And so I, in fact, might go and spend my afternoon poring over your tutorials. Yeah, there are a couple. And uh, I, what I do is I, I put a few songs which from my last album, Natalia, and uh, I dissect them and I, I speak about the inspiration and how the inspiration evolved. Oh, fantastic. And if anybody wanted to book you for a show while you're in town. I'll give my email. It's, it's easy to remember. It's nipsmusic at gmail.com. Nipsmusic at gmail.com. I check my mails every day. I manage myself here in South Africa. So with pleasure. Amazing. I have loved this conversation. I really feel inspired. And I hope everybody else listening does as well. Because it's so important that we keep making music. We have to, and I'm looking forward to your next projects as well, musically. Now, we didn't have time to chat about it, but I'm dying to hear about what you're up to creatively. And we're so appreciative of platforms like this. So it's like a voice for us. So we're really, really thankful. Thanks to you. I'm really, I've loved chatting to you this hour. It's been wonderful. Yeah, this has been so cool. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tori. And thanks all the best to you. If you are an indie artist whose passion for what you do can inspire or fuel others, get in touch. I'd love to chat. You can find me on Instagram at Shotgun Tour. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts. To open their eyes before it's too late. To lead them along to the secret of place. Where they'll trample on lions, they'll trample on snakes. I'm under his shadow and he out trust. Deliver me, Lord, from the snares full of wrath. Warm me with feathers and under your wings. With the ten string lie, these songs I will sing. Darkness or arrows by day. A thousand will fall by my side in the clear. The Lord is my refuge, my dwelling, my place. No evil shall harm me, no danger or plague. Surround me and keep me upset. I will trample on lions and trample on snakes. I will set you in love in your head, lies my friend. Deliver me, Lord, I call you by name. Give me long life, salvation, proclaim. I'll trample on lions, I'll trample on snakes. Trample on lions and trample on snakes.